Business Desk Today is the podcast for New Zealand business leaders. Your daily business briefing from the team at businessdesk.co.nz. Kia ora and welcome to Business Desk Today, the daily podcast bringing you our top stories for the day ahead. It's Tuesday the 17th of October. I'm your host, Murray Jones. Carry on this silent treatment and we will assume that you wish to have your contract terminated as per your employment contract clause 16. That was Microgem's chief scientific officer, David Saul, in an April 14th email to a dozen staff who had stopped working for the biotech. He gave them two other options, stay with us and communicate or hand in your resignation. They did the latter. And after seven months without pay, what was left of Microgem's 30 staff in New Zealand replied to Saul's email one by one that evening, handing in their resignation. They had not been paid since September 5th last year, 222 days without a salary. A former staff member said, We stayed because we believed in what we were trying to produce. Now, they and their colleagues are creditors in the company's liquidation, owed $532,000. But Saul told Business Desk recently they were trying to start up again as a different entity. Callahan Innovation, who is owed money in liquidation, has also confirmed it's looking at the assets. As previously reported, Microgem was headquartered in the United Kingdom, but had entities in the US and New Zealand, and at one point had a valuation of 120 million US dollars. Globally, more than 200 people work for Microgem. NZ employed the scientists, the US had the factory, and Microgem's administration was run out of the UK. During the pandemic, it began developing the Spitfire 6830, a box-style mobile machine that was pitched to return a COVID test within 25 minutes. But Spitfire didn't get the emergency approval needed from the US Food and Drug Administration until April last year. The problem was the pandemic was almost over, and the cash was gone, leading to a spectacular collapse. While the NZ entity owes $1.5 million, at least $50 million US is outstanding in the United States bankruptcy, with the liquidator in the UK yet to report to creditors. Up next, and lightweight solar panels developed by a Netherlands company could greatly open up the domestic rooftop market, Ara Ake says. The government set up Ara Ake in 2020 to make new ideas in renewable electricity commercially viable. It has just installed solar panels on its own roof. Given its remit, perhaps the obvious question is, what took it so long to install its own panels? Two years ago, Araake moved to a refurbished building, but the roof couldn't take the weight of traditional solar panels. That meant having to look around the world for something new. The company settled for Netherlands company Solage, which manufactures solar panels 50% lighter than traditional ones, with a similar life expectancy to original panels. Now, time for a quick ad break. After National forms a government once the final election results come in, two things are almost certain in energy policy, no matter the final shape of that government. The Lake Onslow pumped hydro project will be given a quick death and moves will start to repeal the ban on offshore oil and gas exploration. Putting an end to the Onslow project is a relatively simple administrative task. A minister, once sworn in, tells officials to stop work. So far, $30 million was budgeted to look at the feasibility of the idea and $69 million to develop a detailed business case. 
In August, ministers agreed it was feasible and work on developing the idea is ongoing. Onslow is intended to solve the country's dry year problem as it moves away from thermal generation. At a current estimated cost of $15.7 billion, it would effectively double hydro storage capacity, given the system resilience to get through the years when the current hydro lakes run low. Decisions about how it would be funded, who would run it, and how it would operate were all yet to be made. Much of the sector has been opposed to the Onslow project, arguing it costs too much, is in the wrong part of the country, and that its 10-year estimated build time is not a solution for the problems New Zealand faces over the next 10 years. Supporters argue while the cost is large, the benefits would be greater, giving New Zealand energy security for decades to come. However, National and ACT have said it is a bad idea. New Zealand First's manifesto is silent on the matter, but it is unlikely to be a sticking point if the three parties must come to some arrangements. The result is Onslow is dead. However, one thing National, ACT and NZ First all agree on is the return of offshore oil and gas exploration. It's well worth reading Ian Llewellyn's full analysis of this on our website. And our final story today, Air New Zealand says its domestic pricing is a function of high costs and that passengers need to adapt by booking earlier. That's as the price gulf grows between the national carrier's domestic pricing and that of its main local competitor, Qantas-owned Jetstar. The AirNZ premium can be up to six times higher than Jetstar on routes covered by both airlines. That has helped prompt a constant stream of consumer complaints to the Commerce Commission, which received 448 inquiries about Air New Zealand over the past three years, of which 79 related to pricing issues under the Fair Trading Act. Jetstar has received a combined 166 complaints over the period. For a flight booked a week out for a one-way Auckland to Queenstown flight on October 18th, Jetstar quotes $65 for its starter no-frills ticket. The national carrier's equivalent starts at $237 and ratchets up to $450 even before adding bags or selecting seats. Air New Zealand's General Manager of Domestic, Ian Walker, said the airline sticks to a range of 15 price points. Auckland to Queenstown, one of the most popular routes, ranges between $99 and $450. If you've ever wondered how Air New Zealand works out its pricing, then read Brent Melville's breakdown on businessdesk.co.nz. And finally, New Zealand's benchmark index fell almost 1% on the first day of market trading following the National Party claiming victory at the 2023 election on Saturday night. The S&P NZX50 index fell 80.6 points, or 0.72%, to 11,185.08. Turnover was $80.3 million. There were 48 gainers and 81 decliners on the main board. That's all from us. Have a great Tuesday.